Well, God is good. Um, I thank, uh, I want to just say thank you for, I, I don't know when there's been a stronger growing season since we have lived here in the area with you. And uh, just about the sweetest corn that you could imagine tasting. Uh, I don't know if there's any left back on the table for the harvest, but I won't call his name, but the sweetest uh, corn in the county uh, was brought in today. And I got a couple ears myself. But I encourage you. Thank, thank you for uh, sharing. And I also want to say thank you to those, since it's been a str- such a strong growing season, the grass grows like weeds. And that, doesn't our campus look nice? And thank you to the men and women who every week faithfully in the midst of the rain and not rain and hot and whatever, let's give God praise and glory for them. Now, I'm going to be so excited when the choir is back. I know we've all missed them and love their uh, their music, love their spirit, love their body language when they're up there singing to, to the Lord. And I want to echo what Jack shared. Some of you need to be in the choir. You've got great voices, and the choir would love to have you. I'd love to see every one of these chairs filled. have to put some more chairs out for our uh, our, our kickoff for this fall. And uh, just so thankful. Uh, We've had two weeks, two Sundays. This is the second Sunday of uh, family camp. So a number of our people are down at the camp as they were last week. And uh, we'll be excited to see all of them get back. And I don't know when I've seen the church busier in terms of going places and doing things. But so I'm looking forward to everybody getting back. This is a pretty good crowd this morning, considering it's right in the dead of the summer and vacations. But so glad to see you here. And we're looking forward to uh, summer beginning to uh, end uh, so that we can see all of our folks back. Uh, As you're turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be... Uh, taking three more verses this morning. We've been, uh, Josh and Rochelle, we've been marching through Philippians. And so it's been a great journey for me, a wonderful adventure. And I'm just so thankful uh, that we have this word that we can study in in freedom. Um, I've entitled it, uh, Who Cut In On You? Who Cut In On You? And you'll see what I mean by this. Uh, It actually has a bit of a sports context to it this morning. But let me just begin uh, today by saying I, uh, something just personal for me, just to, to, to lay the, uh, the groundwork. Something that I've always loved to do since I was a kid was to ride my bicycle. I don't remember my first bicycle. Uh, I'm sure it was old and well used, but I do remember learning how to ride it. I, I do have those thoughts in my mind. Uh, I had trouble knowing how to start out. And so uh, the church that my father was pastoring in in Illinois uh, had the parsonage attached to the church, which they often did in those days, in the earlier days. And there was a set of concrete steps coming out of the youth unit. And uh, he said, just uh, we'll put the bike right beside the steps and you can kind of just step off and you don't have to worry about holding it up and just give yourself a push off the step and you can get going. And so uh, that helped me uh, know how to start. And then I had trouble turning. Anybody have trouble turning? I got rolling, but I thought turning was a whole different. You got to kind of lean into it and the whole deal. And, and so I can remember my dad running beside me just to give me confidence, coaching me. And in case I got too wobbly, he'd be there to catch me. And then I remember after I started to get that down that I was afraid to stop. Because if you stop and you don't know how to put your foot down right and brake just right and get it all timed out right, you can fall over and bang your head and whatever. But, but once I got it down, I said, 
I'd like to have a new bike, not one of these old used ones that you found at the, you know, wherever, the junk pile, so to speak. And, and so uh, my folks were limited in resources in those days. And, and so it was my grandmother who bought my first two new bicycles that I ever got. The first one was a Columbia 24-inch red bicycle, and I was so proud of it. I'm telling you, I just rode it everywhere. And then as, as I got a little bit taller and my legs got a little bit longer, my brother inherited that red Columbia bike, and I inherited a brand-new English three-speed racer. I was so proud. It was made in England. It was jet black, and, I mean, it had three speeds and handbrakes and the whole thing. And I was, I was really excited and proud about it. It was my pride and joy. Over the years, I've had many bicycles, and I still love to ride. In fact, yesterday, I rode to Converse and back, which is really good for me. It is mere child's play for the Bob Birchels of the world who ride 80, 90, 100 miles at a shot. But for me, it's pretty good to make it to Converse and back. But I, I, I just, I love riding the bicycle. It makes me feel happy. It, it makes me feel better physically. I just love it, even though it often challenges me. Now, there's something else I love, and I love it even more than riding the bicycle. I I also love the Christian walk. I love the life of living for Jesus Christ, don't you? I love it. I just love this adventure. But it, like bicycle riding many miles, sometimes also has its challenges. And so this morning, I I shared that little personal story to say this this is a word from Paul, from God, through Paul, to the Philippian church, now to the Lakeview church, to say, here's how to stay encouraged, even though there are challenges along the way, even though you're doing something you really love and doing something you like, and even though it has challenges, you can make it. And that's what Paul wants us to be aware of in these next three verses. We're going to read them right now in this letter to the Philippian Christians. Chapter 3, we're going to read 12, 13, and 14. Just three verses this morning. And here's what it says. Not that I have already obtained it. You should put a question mark there. What's, What's it referring to? Or not that I have already become perfect. But I, Paul, press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the message for this morning. If we were to give some additional descriptive words as we read the passage, it might go something like this. So here's what I'm going to do. I've I've put some words in here that will hopefully, uh, I'm going to give you the short version of the Greek background. I'm not going to tell you the Greek word. I'm going to just give you the background out of which the Greek words have their literal meaning and how they may apply to this passage. So if you'll just follow with me, I'm just going to read those verses and make a little quick commentary. It's not deep, but it, it'll help, I think. So verse verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained it. What's the it? 
Christ-likeness. We're to be like Jesus. He said, I haven't, I haven't totally obtained it or have already become perfect. Perfect there doesn't mean you could ever, ever make a mistake. He's talking about being spiritually mature. Now let's go back and read it. Not that I have already obtained Christ-likeness or have already become spiritually mature. Well, where does that leave me? If Paul's not spiritually <laughs> mature, where does that put me on the scale? I don't know. But he says, but I press on. That press on means to pursue Christ-likeness so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Meaning, Jesus took me down like I might take down a football runner so I could possess him. Like Jesus took me down when I was running without him and he possessed me. I want, and I had a typo in there, I want Christ-likeness like Christ wanted me. I want Christ-likeness like as much as Christ wanted me. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, Christ-likeness, yet but one thing I do, forgetting, and in the Greek that's not partial forgetting, it's total forgetting, totally. What lies behind? And reaching forward to what lies ahead. Meaning that when the eye sees the prize, it draws the rest of the body forward. Sometimes when I'm, sometimes when I'm riding my bike and I'm feeling tired and fatigued, sometimes I, you know, I'm staring down at, at, at the trail, at the, tra- at the bike path. And I just stare at it and I just kind of put one pedal against the other, against the other, keep going round and round and round and, and just trying to hurry up because I'm tired and I'm feeling so hot. And, and then every once in a while, I need to look up. And when I look up, I, I see I see the post, you know, that, that post that if you're not careful, you can run into it. <laughs> that post, I can sometimes see it up there at a distance. And I'm thinking, that's where I take a left and get on the country road, which means I'm getting closer to home. And so it kind of, my eye on that prize, it kind of, it pulls me forward. At first I was looking down just trying to grind it out, but, but looking up it pull, it pulls me forward is what he's saying. Thinking about heaven, thinking about being Christ-like, it pulls us forward in our journey with Christ. Now verse 14. I press on toward the goal, Christ-likeness, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Bearing down on the bullseye like a marksman, someone who's shooting, you know, shooting at a particular target. I think about, I get these, uh, I get these pictures once in a while from Doug Ballinger and he's got, he's got his son out doing the archery. He started with our Christian school, our archery program. And, and it turns out that Tanner is just, uh, he's doing well. He's winning, he's winning, uh, a number of the archery contests. And I, I got one yesterday, and he, and he won. I don't even know some great big ring. It looked like a Super Bowl ring to me. Uh, uh, it was just amazing. And so, so I can picture Tanner. You know, uh, he takes his his bow and, and and puts the arrow in it, loads it up, whatever, and he brings it down. And then and then he steadies in. He ha- he has to get the focus. He bears down, bears down on the target, boom, and hopefully a bullseye. 
That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. Bearing down on that bullseye, that prize, that upward call, that Christ-likeness that Jesus has called us to. You know, Paul, it's interesting. Paul elaborates more on this. I'm going to take us to another letter that he wrote this morning, just, just, uh, two verses. But he, he elaborates a little bit more on this whole concept in Galatians, uh, concerning the tactics that the enemy uses to, to hinder us from hitting the bullseye, from hindering us along the path, from hindering us from, from making it a good journey, a good successful ride, so to speak, living like Jesus. We've all experienced this in our walk with Christ, and our walk is not over. And so these things are going to happen to us at different levels at different times. And sometimes we're going to have it. Uh, these hindrances come. It's going to feel like when it rains, it pours. And then sometimes we'll get a little, a little oasis time, a little freedom from it, and we think life is good, and we're sitting on the mountaintop a little bit, and then all of a sudden, wham, uh, we get hit again, it's, and it's hindrances from the enemy. Well, let's see what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Uh, and I'm going to read it in the New American Standard, which is what we normally are studying in this passage, but, but also read it in the New Living Translation. So we'll do the NASB first. Here's what he says. You... We could, he could, he's talking about us, those of us who are truly in Christ and we know Jesus. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Now let me read it in a different translation. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. Well, in layman's terms, I will give you one Greek word, anak. In layman's terms, what it means to be hindered is anak totally means to jostle or to strike another runner in order to throw him back so as to gain the advantage. It's sort of like if you're running in a race and, and you know, if, if the, if the runner uh, they have to go so far in some of the certain races before they can actually cut into the center, which is a shorter run, and it's a little faster run. And sometimes you'll see people elbowing, and they're, they're jostling and whatever, and he's saying, someone, a hindrance in our journey to be Christ-like and, and to serve Jesus well is, is going to be hindered from time to time by the enemy. It's to jostle, to strike the other runner, to throw them back so that we can gain advantage. And that's what the devil is always trying to do to believers. He's trying to gain the advantage and get us off the track and to slow us down. Now, one of the things that's fun about studying Paul is that he's such a sports fan. Now, be honest. Any sports fans in here, raise your hand. I know who you are. Most of you sports fans, I see your uh, posts on Facebook and your emails and different things. And I know what teams you love and I know what teams you hate that I like and all that sort of thing. So I think Paul was a I think maybe he was one of the great biblical sports fans of all time because he uses sports terminologies and he uses sporting illustrations quite often in uh, his writings uh, to us. And so I want to show us a short, I want to show us a short, and it's an actual video of an important race where there was a significant hindrance to the runner. You know, Paul, he talks about wrestling, he talks about fighting, boxing, and now he's talking about running. 
Here is a perfect example of video. And I want you to keep your eye. It's just about 28 seconds or so. But I want you to keep your eye fixed upon the person in second place. I think he has a green uniform. I'm not sure. But whoever's in second place, watch that second place person because he represents you and me in this run, in this race, in this bicycle ride I was talking about, this long distance run uh, to be like Jesus and to please him. See, Let's see what it looks like. In a battle for the world junior title. Now watch Machuca in the red vest. They don't like each other, these two, and you'll see why. This is the incident that denied Kenyan athlete just. Did you did you did you catch the hindrance? You can stop it now. Stop it now. Stop it now. Did you see the hindrance? Did you did you see see the guy in the green? I mean, he won. The guy in the green's us, and the guy in the red. I'm not saying he's the devil, but we're going to let him represent the devil. And those guys are so bitter toward one another. That's part of you. Maybe couldn't hear him say that, but these guys don't like each other. And this guy thought he was going to win. And when he saw that guy come up beside him and then start to pass him, I don't know, he just freaked out and smacked him in the back of the head. That's Anak. That's, that's trying to gain advantage by striking and jostling. And that is exactly what the devil does to us in our day-to-day journey with Christ. And so here, come back to the bicycle thing for just a moment. As I ride my bike mile after mile, and you you just picture this symbolically in terms of your spiritual journey. As I ride my bike mile after mile, even though it brings me pleasure to ride, there are hindrances along the way. And it's going to give us some practical hindrances to a bike ride and then make application to spiritual hindrances in our ride toward Christ in heaven. First of all, the first one is mud. Mud on a bike ride is not good. The worst accident that I ever had riding my bicycle was because of mud. I'm riding with a wonderful friend of mine, a dentist in Iowa, on a wonderful bike trail. And it had rained the night before a little bit, and there was this little pool where you could see the water had stood, and then it dried off, and it just looked like dried dirt. But it wasn't. It was mud. And I may have told this story before. If I do, uh, this it's for the new folks and folks that just started coming here. But we got into that. My friend was right beside me, but a little bit behind. And I said, Brian, this is mud. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, I went down so fast and make your head spin. And I hit hard. I thought I broke my elbow, my arm. I thought my bike was going to look like a pretzel. And I was hurting. And I, as soon as I, as soon as I stopped and got collected myself and I thought, did I break anything? I'm looking at my elbow and then you know what you do. You look at the bike and you look, make sure it's not hurt, whatever. And there's Brian up ahead of me and he's holding his head. Now this is a dentist. He makes his living with his hands and with his ability to feel decent and work on you and me, people like us. And he's holding his head and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's got a concussion. Turned out he didn't and he turned out to be okay. But I said, how did you get ahead of me? You were behind me. And he goes, I don't know. And I said, well, look at my back and see if you see anything. And I turned around and there were his tire marks right up my, my back. He, he literally ran over me. And so, so mud is an, is a hindrance on a bike ride. Let me tell you what else is a hindrance. Heat. Heat drains your energy. A third, a tr- a thirst 
you get dehydrated and it causes the muscles to not have the same uh, strength and uh, feeling good like they can handle the load. Here's a really bad one, almost as bad as the mud, and that is saddle soreness. You ever seen those racing seats? You ever sat on one of those for very long? And if you, it, They hurt. They make you sore. They can make a blister real fast in a place you don't want a blister. And they can bruise you so that it doesn't, even if you don't have a blister, it hurts to put weight on it. And it's just, and it takes the fun out of it and it's awful. Number five, six, seven through about 20 is in capital letters, dogs. (laughs) Dogs are bad. When you're riding, dogs are bad. And I rode all the way to Commerce yesterday and I'm, and, and I got past that one farmhouse where I told you a dog came out. And I'm, I'm looking and he, and he wasn't there. And I thought, that's good. But when I turned around at Converse and I started my way back, I thought, but he might not, he might be there this time. And I fretted about it and I stressed about it. And I'm thinking, okay, get it in the right gear. Uh, try to get your breath back because you got to outrun this dog if he comes out of the woods like he did one. Fortunately, he wasn't there, but he stressed me out for no good reason. It bothered me and it hindered my fun. And my joy. And okay, number seven, deep potholes. If your wheel goes into one that's deep enough, it will throw you right over the handlebars. I mean, right now. You can't be looking at the uh, cows in the field or how tall the corn is. You got to pay attention to potholes and the road. Number eight, this is a bad one. As soon as I roll out of the driveway and I get onto the road, it's like wind in your face. You don't want wind in your face. It's hard to pedal when the wind is pushing against you. At least it is for me. Numbness. Numbness. After you hold your arms in a place for so long, after so many miles, if you're not careful, your your hand will go numb. Your arm will go numb. Other things go numb. You know, it's not not easy. The chain comes off. That's a hassle when the, the mechanical piece of the bike just doesn't work. A flat tire. That is a tremendous hindrance on a, on a long... Uh, how about getting lost and taking the wrong direction on a trail? And you end up somewhere... I don't know where I am and I'm tired. And I don't have my phone. I don't have my GPS. Here's another one. Kids on the path not paying attention. I can't tell you how many times I've had to stop when I was tired and I was on a roll. And to avoid hitting a kid and running over a kid... I had to stop completely. But when I pull in the driveway at the house, I feel like a winner. And I had the time of my life. Honestly, I had the time of my life. How can we make it to the driveway to heaven in our journey with Jesus? Well, there are many ways the enemy of our faith will hinder us in our run of faith with God. Let me just give you about 10 or so, maybe maybe a couple more. I'm not sure how many it is. I, you, you can think of probably some more. I think I've got 12 here. I don't have time to talk about them, but you know what I'm talking about. One of the first, one of the first hindrances to our journey of Christ-likeness, toward Christ-likeness and the prize that is there because we have become like Jesus, are temptations. There are certain temptations that uh, affect each of us, and some of us are vulnerable to certain things more so than others. And you probably know what they are. The Holy Spirit has probably already cautioned you on some things that you're particularly vulnerable to. It's like an alcoholic. It's not wise to take that first drink. You're vulnerable. 
And so you need you and I need to watch out for temptations. Number two, friends who are a poor influence. Friends who are a poor influence. Hobbies, good hobbies, things that are really good things, but pull us away from the better things at times. Number four, schedules that are too full of other things that we can't really manage to make out, eke out any time to be in the house of God, to further our, our, work, our walk with God, the disciplines to encourage one another, to help carry the load. Number five, apathy. I don't know. Shoot. Uh, I hear, yeah, I hear you talking, but I'm, you know, I'm going to go home and eat and life is pretty good for me. And once in a while, you know, I'll say a prayer for them, but I don't really, you know, I already worked a lot when at, at the church when I was in my twenties or my thirties, but so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of apathetic about, oh, how about number six, self-centeredness? It's all about me. It's all about what I think. It's all about what I think at home. It's all about what I think in the marriage. It's all about what I think uh, raising the family. It's all about what I think on vacation. It's all uh, all about what I think at the job. It's all about what I think at the church. It's all about what I think. What I think. So it's called self-centeredness. Number seven, lack of discipline. Do you have your quiet time today? Do you have it any days last week? Were you in the Word of God since last Sunday when we were in the Word of God? It's lack of discipline. Those are hindrances while we're riding, while we're, while we're tracking in Christlikeness toward Jesus. Number eight, getting worked up about minor stuff. Have you ever got worked up over something that didn't matter that much in the, in the end? You know, I, I can't tell you how much the church has fought wars over the gifts of the Spirit. You want to talk about speaking in tongues, just, let's just mention that. And there's so many different uh, opinions about that. And yet Paul, in his word, says this is the least of the gifts. Why are you spending so much time and writing so many books about something that is the least of the gifts? You get all worked up about minor stuff, minor stuff at work, minor stuff at home, minor stuff, minor stuff at the church, minor stuff. And we get worked up over it. Number nine, attitudes that don't lift us up or others others up. Attitudes. Those are hindrances to our journey. Emotional and physical pain. I'll tell you what, it's hard to listen to God when your body is aching and when it is in pain. Amen? Anybody got an amen on that? It's harder. I'm not saying it's impossible, just harder. Number 11. (laughs) I'll just speak out of personal experience on this one. Stupid decisions of the past that we regret. Just stupid things that we look back and we say, that was dumb. I don't even know what I was thinking when I thought that, when I did that, when I said that. It's just, I wish I could take it back, but it went went out and you can't get it back. You just can't get it back. Uh, Number 12, and this is not exhaustive, tolerance. Tolerance on both sides of the coin. Tolerant, we tolerate too much stuff that we should speak against, and some things we are not tolerant enough about to give somebody else space and freedom to be able to share and to be a human being, so to speak. So just these are these are distractions and hindrances. It's like the punch in the back of the head that the runner gave the other guy. Paul always had a want to attitude. And we have to have a want-to attitude in order to be Christ-like. You have to want to. You, you, you have to want to ride a bicycle to get on it and ride it that far. You have to want to. 
You have to want to be Christ-like to be more Christ-like. How's our want to this morning? I think the Holy Spirit is asking us. Paul is saying, how's your want to in terms of Christ-likeness? Have the hindrances in the race beaten you down? Because I'm pretty sure some of us feel like we just got socked in the back of the head by the devil on something. We all have something somewhere in our history, in our background, and maybe yesterday, where we feel like we got punched in the back of the head. Can I get an amen on that? It hurts. It bothers you. And it it, it kind of throws you out of your, your rhythm at times. So what can we do to have a more of a want to? And how do we deal with these hindrances that, that, that come into our lives? Well, the first thing I would encourage us to do as we prepare to leave through these doors is leave this place dissatisfied this morning. Leave this place, this service, dissatisfied this morning. You're asking, dissatisfied in what? Well, not the weather, and not the Sunday school lesson you just had, hopefully, and not the music we just sang and listened to, and not the flavor of the coffee or the tea or the hot chocolate, and not the sermon, for goodness sake, not the conversations that we had in the foyer, but dissatisfied with our Christ-likeness. Dissatisfied with our Christ-likeness. You say, well, are you picking on me? No, how could I be picking on you? I don't know your life. I don't, I don't know what happened in your world. I don't know what you were thinking about last week. I don't know what you did. I don't know what you said. So this isn't, I, this, is, this is generic for all of us. Be dissatisfied with your Christ-likeness and have a want-to attitude as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us through these, these verses, through these messages that God has given us through Paul in Philippians. Let's resolve to push through the hindrances all the way to the finish line. Now, let me say that. I want you to take a deep breath. Everybody ready? One, two, three. So I don't want you to miss this next point because it's the last point. And it's this. Let's, through our dissatisfaction with where we are on the journey, because Paul said, I'm not satisfied. Remember? We read that. Remember? I said, if he's not where he needs to be, where's that put me? So I, so I need to be dissatisfied. Paul was dissatisfied with where he was. I need to be dissatisfied with where I am. And would it be all right if I say, you need to be dissatisfied with where you are in terms of Christ-likeness? So how do we push through? He said, here's the story. Here's the story of a man that I'm making a spiritual application from. I don't know if he knew Jesus or not, but the application fits just like the bicycle riding fits the spiritual illustration that I'm trying to bring out. Here's the story of a man who learned how to push through. 61-year-old, did I say 61? 61-year-old Cliff Young, ultra-marathon runner, was a sheep farmer who in 1983 captured the attention of the whole world. 61 years old, a sheep farmer. The whole world is watching him. He showed up one day to run in the world's longest distance race, which runs from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne. 
It's 547 miles by car. It's a race, a foot race, if you can imagine that. Now, here's a little bit about Cliff. 61, a farmer, sheep farmer. He was toothless. Not all farmers are toothless, but this one was. He was a working class sheep farmer managing a 2,000 acre sheep farm. And he came up to the table where they were registering for this race wearing galoshes over his work boots. And he asked to sign up for the longest ultra marathon race in the world. Well, you can only imagine what the people behind the table were thinking as they looked at this picture. In fact, I've got a picture we're going to put up there of Cliff Young. Now, I want you to notice his, his, his Nike running shoes. Can you see that in the picture? They're galoshes. They're galoshes, rubber boots over his work boots. And that, that's him. Now, I, I'm going to show you a couple of other pictures, but I want to show you just a real brief video of what it means to throw off the hindrances in the race and resolve to push through even though we have hindrances. And so let's watch this little video. Cliff Young was, as his name suggested, young at heart. He embodied the never-say-die attitude many aspire to, but few achieve. What the interesting thing about Cliff Young is, is that he wanted to do it. And it was remarkable what he did. I mean, he didn't cheat. He actually did it. Oh, it's been a great car run. The hills all the way. You can hear anyway. And day after day, Cliffy Young, the Cliff Young shuffle, and the whole nation fell in love with Incredibly, at age 61, Cliff became the oldest marathon winner, and he took two days off the previous Sydney to Melbourne race record. Do you think that you're going to make it all the way? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I'm going to run all night tonight, and I hope to finish tomorrow. Tomorrow night, tonight. And he screwed at the field. He just ripped them wide open. Kept going to Melbourne. If they hadn't stopped him, he would have finished in Perth. Cliff was awarded the first prize of $10,000. He promptly gave two grand to each of the five other runners and kept nothing for himself. An impressive and generous man, that Cliff. What an interesting personality. So he, he was a persevering winner, and I, we're, I'm going to show you a picture where he's, he's pictured in front of his modest home with a replica of his now famous work boots that he showed up to enroll. Now, obviously, he had some running shoes on for the actual race, but but that's that's really what he did all of his training exercises in, those those rubber galoshes over his work boots. And there he is uh, enjoying some attention. Let me tell you what happened. Runners all over the world went to school on his style, and they named his style the Cliff Shuffle. That's what it's known as today. And many of these gifted runners changed their actual style to the cliff shuffle because of its minimal body movement and efficiency of motion. By the time he died, he had logged in well over 12,000 miles of running 
with every hindrance one might imagine thrown in his way. And you know he had hindrances because when they said, would you do this again? He said, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, the last photo I'm going to show you captures one of his sayings that I think we will find encouraging to our own journey to Christ-likeness. He said, I like to finish what I start doing. I like to see it through to the end, to the best of my ability. That's a want-to attitude. It's want-to. I want to do this. So let me give a closing version of what we just read in our scripture from a Greek scholar who kind of puts it like it really was intended. And here's what he says, and I quote, Brethren, as for myself, as I look back upon my life and calmly draw a conclusion I am not counting myself yet as one who has, in an absolute and complete way, laid hold of that for which I have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. But one thing, I, in fact, am forgetting completely the things that are behind, but am stretching forward to the things that are in front, bearing down upon the goal. I am pursuing on for the prize of the call from above of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So I take it from Paul how to deal with hindrances, and we've all had them, and we will have more of them. Don't live in the past, bad or good. You can enjoy your memories in the past, in your personal world, and in the life of the church. Enjoy the good memories, but don't live there. Do not live there. Do not keep dwelling upon that. And the things that we have done well, not done well, and we regret, don't live there either. Don't stay there. Forget that. We have to sometimes forget the good and the bad because it can hinder us in today's journey. Then I see Paul saying, keep the focus on the prize. Christ-likeness, that's the prize. Because the Christ-likeness leads us to eternal life, being like Jesus. Thirdly, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. If something got your attention or worried you or fretted you or stressed you out, don't sweat the small stuff. Some of those things don't even amount to anything. I stressed out all the way from Converse to the farmer's house and the dog wasn't even out. I stressed out over it. Don't do that. And lastly, whatever you do, don't quit. Don't quit. I was miles from home day before yesterday and I was riding alone out in the countryside in the corn taller than I was out in the middle of nowhere and I came upon a solo farmhouse. And I'd seen this older gentleman and his wife sitting on the, the swing, their glider, in the past, late in the evening. And they would wave to me, and I'd wave back and keep on going. Only day before yesterday, as I was riding past that same farmhouse, out in the middle of the country, nobody else around, 
The old man was at the side of the road. And I thought, does he see me coming? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm moving along pretty good here. And he looked and he saw that I was coming. And he saw he had time to make it across the, the road to the mailbox. That's where he was headed. And when he got to the mailbox, I passed him. And I heard him utter something. And I had the headphones in. You know, you've heard me say I put the headphones in because I can't stand the sound of my labored breathing. It depresses me. So I, I play music. But I could tell he said something. And so I'm coasting now on by, pulled the left one out. And I said, I'm sorry, did you say something? And he said to me with a big smile, he said, if you ever get in trouble, stop in, I'll help you. I thought to myself, you know, that's what church should be like. We all have these hindrances and sometimes we can get a flat and sometimes we can get punched in the back of the head and sometimes somebody would gossip and say something to hurt our feelings and we don't understand something and there's stuff that goes on even in this city I could tell you right now that are misunderstood misunderstandings of the actual truth that are causing turmoil in our city. And so we must be very careful. But church ought to be a place where don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as some do But be there, be in God's house, and all the more encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching when Jesus is going to come for us. So church ought to be an encouragement. So I want you to leave dissatisfied with your level of Christ-likeness, but I want you, and God wants you more importantly, to leave encouraged. Encouraged that these hindrances cannot pull us away from our heart's desire to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So you be encouraged. God bless you. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. And I want to say, if there's some besetting sin that you need to get victory over, and it's been pulling you back from Christ-likeness, you need to confess that. You need to agree with Jesus about it. You need to ask Him to forgive you because He's in your heart and He died for your sins. And you need to get that wrestled down with God's help and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you've been in church thinking that's going to get you into heaven, it won't work. And if you think that just believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but you don't receive Him into your life and allow Him to change you and come into your world, it won't work. It doesn't help. People think they live in a Christian nation. It doesn't help. It's better than a non-Christian nation, so to speak, but it doesn't get us to heaven because we live in America. And so you need Jesus Christ. You need to reach out to him and you need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me because of what Jesus did. I want you to be Lord and master of my life and invite him to live in your heart and life. Father in heaven, thank you for these good teachings uh, from from the Bible. Uh, Thank you. I I pray that I have not uh, caused anyone to stumble or misread anything or, or shared anything that was not helpful. But Lord, if it is, and if it was from you, I pray that it will lodge deep in their hearts. Help us to be totally dissatisfied with where we are in our Christ-likeness. And help us to be totally committed, even more than this old man that was a runner. Help us to be more committed to Christ-likeness, like Paul was. He said, I haven't arrived, I haven't got it, and I'll admit it, and I want to do better. So help us to do better, Lord. Help us. Protect us. And refresh us. Send revival into this place. Send revival into our hearts that we would desire more of you. And save people who turn to you even in this hour. We love you. 
And all God's people said together, Amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you.